we just finished First Peter a couple of weeks ago, and now we are looking at discipleship. And, and a lot of this came from time that the discipleship team, uh, the time that we spent together going through many, many, many passages of Scripture. It might have just been quicker for us just to read the whole New Testament rather than flip back and forth to all the verses that we did. But we have been looking at discipleship, and, and last week we looked at in detail how we came up with this, and there were footnotes and things like that to all these words, and you can uh, feel free to go on our website at uh, mansfieldfbc.com backslash make disciples, and you will see not just this definition, but an explanation of how we got there with all the verses attached to it. And so I will read this uh, before we move on. It says, disciples are transformed followers of Jesus committed to intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others. And so that's what we're, our aim is. That's what we're trying to become, disciples like this. And then we're trying to make disciples like this, who in turn also make disciples like this. And so and what we're going to do is we're going to, last week we did a flyby looking at some of the verses, the many verses that we have been um, studying in order to come up with this definition and what I want to do now is to look at some of the, the verses in Scripture that give very clear instructions for people who consider themselves disciples of how they should live. And so with that said, we are going to be today in Mark 8, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. And we're going to talk about invest wisely. And so if I know that with us not having um, children's church this morning, I am going to ask our children to come up here. So if you are, let's say, below 7th grade, if you are below 7th grade, could you come up here for me? And you can have a seat right there, John Michael. Show everybody how to do it. I, I, I know John's real shy, and so it took him a while to get up here, but... Okay. I need someone to do something crazy. Crazy. And why am I not shocked that they were the first two to raise their hands? <laughs> Melanie and John Mike. Okay, Melanie, come here. All right. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a dollar. Do you think there's more to it than that? There is. If you choose to do something good with that dollar, I might, I might give you more than a dollar. But that's investing wisely. But if you don't do something wise with it, which means if you, you know, if you're selfish about it or you, you just like, hey, Jacob, I'll give you a dollar for your bulletin. Okay, that's, that's not good, right? And so if you don't do something good with it, I'm not going to give you anything. Okay? So here's the catch. You have 30 seconds. What do you think in 30 seconds? You might not know how long that is. That's not very long at all. In 30 seconds... What can you do good with that dollar? But you got to do it right now. If you had a piggy bank right here in front of you, then I would let you do that. But you don't have that. So 
What am I going to do with this? Put it on your head. Put it on my head. <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to count that, and now your dollar's sweaty. Um, but you could, I will let you give it to someone, but you can't give it to me. You can't give it back to me. Or you can keep it for yourself if you want to. So I get my money back. All right, so what, do you, what can you do with that dollar? Awesome. Michael needs a dollar. He needs a haircut before school starts, so <laughs> I'm just playing. Okay, now here's the deal, Melanie. I'm going to give you $10. What about me? Can I get you get to eat in my house. Okay, <laughs> y'all go have a seat. Y'all go have a seat. That's all, all of it. Yeah, you can have a dollar. That was my son, if you couldn't tell. Okay, so Melanie gave it away. That's a good thing to do. It's a smart, good way to use it. And so um, I, the spiritual thing, I gave her some money since she gave. And look, sometimes when we give away and we help people in need, uh, God blesses us in return more than we could ever imagine. And sometimes on this side of eternity, if we give our last $10 away, that means we're not eating lunch today because we just gave our last $10 away and we don't have any more money. And so there's no guarantee that our lunch is going to be provided if we gave our lunch money to somebody. But we have to choose to live lives that are without restraint in love and giving and caring, and, but at the same time knowing that we, in order for us to be the best investors in other people, because we're talking about making disciples, in order for us to be the best investors in other people, we have to be healthy ourselves. If we're not healthy, then we're not going to do others much good. So what that means is, is that there are times when we have to take rest. There are times when we have to say no. There are times when we have to build walls. There are times when we have to have healthy boundaries. There are, we cannot help everyone, right? We, we simply can't. I'm, I'm a pastor of a church, and look around, see how many people there are here. Um, I'm one man, and so it would be foolish of me to think that I can meet all the needs of all the people in this room, much less the community we're in, the county we're in, the state we're in, the country we're in, the world we're in. We're not Jesus, and that's not the way that Jesus did things when he was here on earth. And so we have to be smart in how we invest we have to choose wisely and we have to make sure that we are giving everything to him that we are putting it all in his hands and so the second sermon in this discipleship series is like i said mark 8 verses 31 through 38 and so let's turn there together or it will be up on the screen and in mark 8 verse 31 jesus this, the he here is Jesus. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Now, I'm going to stop there. So Jesus begins to tell the people around him, specifically his disciples, that there is going to be suffering that he has to go through 
that he is going to experience hard times. In fact, hard times to the point of he's going to be killed. Now, for the disciples and those following Jesus, they assumed he was going to be this military leader who overthrew the Roman government and brought uh, Israel back to its heyday. And so they're a little shocked by what's going on. They, when he's saying that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, they're saying, if, you, if you're familiar with this passage in the Old Testament, we were expecting the lion of the tribe of Judah. We were expecting this Messiah in the way they thought. And what you have brought us is you're saying that you're going to die? This doesn't make any sense. And I just want to say that a lot of times the suffering we go through doesn't make sense. If you have experienced suffering that you didn't really understand, please raise your hand. Most of the people in this room. Suffering can be extremely hard. But we can know that God has a plan. And the ultimate example of that is that Jesus, God himself, came to earth. He became a human being. He was born by a virgin, Mary. He became a human being. And he grew into a man, born as a baby, put himself in the hands of, of human parents, and grew into a man. And that man died on a cross. And everybody thought he was coming to save the world. And, and they thought that by saving the world, what he was going to do is restore Israel to its heyday. The country, Israel. The people group, Israel. Of Israel. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then um, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. His descendants. He thought, they, that's what they thought he was going to do. And so when they hear he's dying, this is an extreme disappointment. And uh, spoiler alert, he rose from the dead, right? Death did not defeat him. He had victory over death, and he was coming to bring life to Israel, victory to Israel, but not just Israel, to anyone who will trust in him and put their faith in him. And in order to restore things, first, the, he had to be broken. In order to save us, he had to pay for our sins, so that we could be spared from the punishment that we deserve. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We've, and it also tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Since we've all sinned, we all deserve death. And Jesus came and he took that death for us. Now, physical death awaits all of us unless Jesus returns first. But spiritual life, everlasting life, is offered to any who will accept the free gift of God. But in accepting that, it is free. You don't have to earn it. You, there's nothing that you have to do in order to be good enough to be saved. God can save you no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done. God can save anyone. But when he saves you, there is an expectation of a transformed heart. And that is throughout the Bible. If you are truly his, then changes should occur. You should be sanctified. You should be made into his image. And this isn't like immediate. It's not like you get saved and oh, you're holy and you never sin again. Okay? When you get saved, you're justified. 
you're made right in God's sight because of who Jesus is and what he has done, but you are still a work in progress. And God continues to work on us if we are truly his. He continues slowly, sometimes more quickly than others, depending on a lot of factors, but he begins to transform us into his image. And if we are truly his, then we will begin to look like him. And for those who say that uh, I believe in Jesus and then there's no change, then we can just take their word for it. But the Bible encourages us to judge fruit. And if there is no fruit, then that's not a good sign. It's so. With that said, that's what they were expecting. And so when Jesus explained to him that he was going to die, they were shocked. And he said this plainly. He couldn't make it any clearer. This was what was going to happen. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Some people think that they know better than God. There have been times in my life where I have been that person. Where I have read something in Scripture that I did not understand. And sometimes, oftentimes actually, it was just my misunderstanding of what was being said. But sometimes I read something and I understood what it was saying and I thought, how can that be right? But my lack of understanding God and his plans doesn't change God's goodness, who he is, what's going to happen. It doesn't change any of those things. And so here, Peter thinks he knows better than Jesus. Jesus said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Okay? Um, I am rebuked all the time for different things. I'm not Jesus. Okay? You probably should not rebuke Jesus. You probably shouldn't read something in the Bible and then say, true story, knew a guy growing up who, if he didn't like what he read, he would take a Sharpie and black it out. Okay? Well, you're just making up your own religion there. You're worshiping yourself. You get to be God. You get to make up the rules. If, if we believe the Bible is the word of God, which I do, by the way, and our church professes that belief, then we can't change what it says. That means that we have to love sinners. We have to unabashedly love sinners. But it also means that we can tell sinners to go and sin no more. It means that we have the right to clearly communicate what the scripture says about what is sin and what is not. It means that we can clearly communicate what the Word of God says about all matters concerning His Word itself. And so, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, so he sees the other people there. He's not, there are times when public correction and public responses are completely okay. And if Peter rebukes in public, which he did take him aside, but obviously it wasn't like he took him into a private room. He took him aside to the sense of, hey, Jesus, come over here. What are you talking about? You're the Messiah. You can't die. And this won't be the last time, by the way, that Peter tries to prevent Jesus from dying. And I'm sure he meant well. I'm not saying he didn't. Uh, but we can see in Jesus' words here that he might have been off by a little bit. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Now, this is Jesus' top disciple, right? This is the guy that is there for everything. It, I mean, there was a little humility in that he wasn't the first to see Jesus alive after his death. Um, but the transfiguration, is Peter there? Yeah, of course. All those intimate times. When they go further into the garden on the, in, of Gethsemane on the night before Jesus' death, is Peter there? Not just with the 12, but in the three. Yeah, he's there. And so this isn't just some bad dude. This is Jesus's, one of his closest disciples, one of his best friends. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. When people speak things, they might have good intentions. But when they speak things that are unbiblical, and in this case, um, something that would prevent the salvation of men, something that would present, prevent sorry, the Father being glorified in the most ultimate way ever by Jesus defeating death and saving a people for his own possession, then he uses some strong words. Get behind me, Satan. And so there are times when we, as followers of Jesus, can think we know something and be wrong. There are times when we as followers of Jesus think that we're following him in, in the right way, knowing the right things, while all along we were wrong. I'll give you an example of this. Not everybody in the South 250 years ago were racist, right? Up to, well, some today still, right? But there were churches full of people who loved Jesus, who, just as Peter loved Jesus, who went to church and had this humongous blind spot where they thought that it was okay to hate people of a different race or to own people of a different race, whatever the case might be. Now today, we look back at that and we think, ooh, at, at best, it's like, ooh, I'm not sure about that. And many of us are disgusted by what took place in that era. And those people thought they were doing right. But in retrospect, we could see the atrocities that took place. And Peter thinks he's doing right in rebuking Jesus. But Jesus lets him know in no uncertain terms, in, very, in a very specific way, that he was wrong. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So where do we stand? Are we setting our minds on the things of God? Are we committed to him and his way and his word? Are we ready to live for him wholeheartedly, without restraint? Are we ready to make disciples? Is that, is that what we're ready to do? Or do we look at things and say, uh, you know, I know that the Bible says this, but uh, I'm, I'm going to do this anyway. Or I know that the Bible says this, but that doesn't go with my sensitivities, so I'm going to do this instead. And I know that the Bible says I shouldn't do this, but I really want to do that thing, so I'm going to do that thing. 
That is not how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be wholehearted on the things of God, not on what we want, not on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples. So more than just the few that were around him that were close followers, he's calling everybody over now. He said to them, if anyone would come after me. So this is anybody who wants to truly follow Jesus. Look, they're already following Jesus. They're there, right? They're there listening to him. He's their rabbi. They're his teacher. I mean, he's their teacher. He's, he's listening to what, they're, they are listening to what he is saying. That's how he's able to call them back over. And yet, they're not really following him. They, they haven't given their hearts to him. They haven't surrendered to him. They haven't been born again, as he talked about with Nicodemus. They haven't been saved. They haven't, whatever term you want to use, that transformation has not occurred. And this is what he says to those in the crowd who are not really following him yet. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Think about the things that you want the most right now. What if they don't matter? What if the things that we want the most don't really matter? What if we spend our whole lives trying to get the things that we want the most and in the end we're left with nothing? You know, Melanie could have given away her dollar and been left with nothing, right? That's a reality that sometimes when we spend our money on things that don't matter, those things go away when we die. Sometimes we spend our money, well, for time's sake, I have to move on. But we have to spend our lives completely coming after Jesus and denying ourselves, whatever that means. Any earthly, fleshly desires that are not honoring to God, they're gone. They're behind us. We have to live for God in the way that he has called us to live for him. We have to deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross. For Jesus, that meant literal death, right? And those people around him understood the, the image of the cross and what he was portraying. We have to be willing to die in order to serve Christ to the fullest with all of our hearts, no matter what he's calling us to, whether it's what we wanted to be called to or whether it's something completely opposite of what we ever wanted, if God has called us there, we have to serve him. That might be a job. That might be a relationship. Uh, relationships that are permanent, marriage, family, things like that. We might be called to places that we don't want to be called to but we need to go and serve Christ and honor him in the way that he has called us to honor him. Ultimately, when we come to Jesus, when we follow Jesus, what we want and what we matter is secondary at best. What God wants and what he says matters is what's important. So are we putting him first? Is there anything in your life that is hindering you from in listening to Jesus' invitation to come and after him and obeying his invitation by first denying ourselves. Second, taking up our cross 
and third, following him. I could go through a million alternatives of options of ways that you might not be following Jesus wholeheartedly. But I believe that the Holy Spirit, if you are a Christian, can show you what those things are that need to change. And if you're not a Christian, then I believe that the first thing that needs to change is that you need to put your faith in Christ and follow Him. And if you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the help of God, know your need for salvation and see it and desire to follow Him and you ask Him to save you, He will save you if you are coming after Him in this way. For whoever would save his life will lose it. So what if we do things our way? What if we make sure that we work that overtime in order to buy that new toy that we've been wanting, but to the neglect of our family or to the neglect, uh, I'm not saying toys are bad, but if we're doing it to the neglect of our family, to the neglect of what God has called us to do, if we're not using those toys for his glory and his honor, then yes, those toys are bad. We can gain everything, right? And what good does it do us? I'm getting a little ahead of myself in the scripture. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This means that you have to deny what you desire and who you are and what you want and put God first. And what he wants and who he is is what comes first. There's just so much I want to say that I just want to jump ahead to, like, the really happy, fun part of following Jesus. But I have to restrain myself because right now, the truth is, is that so many people want the good stuff. They want the reward of being in relationship with Jesus. They want the get-out-of-hell-free card, but they don't want the suffering. They don't want the denying ourselves. They don't want the, the following him with their whole heart. And we can't get one without the other. Our faith, our relationship with Jesus, our salvation will always lead us into following him wholeheartedly if we're following him correctly. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Well, Paul's there. For what does it profit a man if he gains the world and forfeits his soul? You can get your way. You can get everything you want. You can work hard to get it. You can uh, work honestly or you can backstab. You can get everything you want in whatever way that you chose to get it. And if you're not using those things for eternal purposes, if you're not using those things for the good of others and for the glory of God, then all you've done is accumulated things that will rust. I'm, I'm just now old enough. I'm, I'll be 38 in a couple weeks. I'm just now old enough to see houses that when I was a kid that were pretty nice houses now have trees growing through them. How many of y'all have been there and you know what I'm talking about? Many of you are nodding. 
And so I'm sure that house was extremely important to someone at some time. But what's it worth now? That's the end of, of all things that are temporary. They pass away. That's their nature. But we can even use temporary things for God's glory and for the good of others. And is that temporary? Now we've transformed something that's temporary into something that's eternal. Not the object itself, but how it was used for the glory of God. How it was used to worship Him. And so, we can gain everything and we can gain the world. But when we, and we can use it however we want to. For our own gain, I mean, for our own purposes, for our own fun, whatever the case might be. And if we're not having fun in a way that honors God, that glorifies Him, in a way that helps others while we're enjoying the things that God has given us, because um, enjoying things is not bad, it's the way we enjoy them. Are we doing it in a way that honors God? Are we doing it in a way that is good for others also? If we're not, then we can gain everything we want. We can live the life we've always wanted to live. We can get to the end of our life and say, well, that was fun. You know, I did this and I bought that and I went here and all this and it could matter nothing in eternity. And so we have to make sure that we are living our lives in a way that honors God and others. For whoever, we're getting close to the end here, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We have to unapologetically live for Jesus and love Jesus. We can't be ashamed of him. We have to make sure that we are living our lives in a way that honors God, that glorifies him, that makes much of him. And when people see the way that we live our lives, they need to be able to see that our lives are different. That our lives are for God's glory. That our lives are for the good of those around us. They need to know us what, for what we're for, not just what we're against. A lot of us make it very clear all the things that we're against, but nobody ever knows what we're for. We need to make it clear who we stand for, who we love. All right, I'm about to read a long quote, but when I read this this week, it's by a friend of mine, Pastor Stephen Harrison, a family church in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Uh, and this is a healthy church. Uh, when you read the quote and his desire for growth, his desire to reach people, his desire and all that, you might read it and think that this is a church that's running 20. Now, this is a large church that their church is large, and they have planted other churches in other communities. And this is in the Delta of Arkansas and Mississippi Delta, the Mississippi River, the Arkansas side of the Delta. And this is where there's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, and this church is known for helping. This church is known for being there for others. And uh, I asked him if I could read this uh, to you guys this morning, and he said yes, and this is, I asked him if it was original to him, and he said yes, and so uh, I'm going to read this. The words will be on the screen so you can follow along, and then afterwards we will close. What are you afraid of giving up in order to obey God's call to win souls, make disciples, and build the church, which is the call for all who call themselves believers? Is it 
status quo or a costly job, the American dream, the big promotion, achievement, ambition, comfort, ease, others' expectations, money, prestige, power, dreams, position, popularity, hobby, sport, that, that neighborhood, that, the overpriced car, fill in the blank, etc. All right, so what are you living for? What's hindering you? Do we chase more after the fleeting things of this world or the very heart of God? What if you have everything this world and even religion tells you is important, but you are still unfulfilled, restless, and frustrated? You and I will never be fully satisfied until we are not only willing to give up everything for the sake of the gospel, but we actually do it. You see, many of us read the scripture this morning, and we agreed with what Jesus was saying. But agreeing with what he is saying and doing what he said to do are two different things. And so that's similar to what he said there. It, it doesn't mean you can't have things. But there is more to this life than the things I listed above. God, God calls disciples to give up and give away themselves in order, order to truly find his peace and purpose. What if the church got serious and stopped just showing up to church and really started being the church? What if every believer went all in for the gospel? What if we started loving our neighbor instead of complaining about them? What if we started fostering, adopting the orphan, and mentoring youth instead of complaining about the younger generation? What if we started serving the least of these instead of pretending they don't exist? What if we went on a mission trip with an eternal reward instead of a vacation trip with a temporal one? What if we invested money, time, thoughts, skills, and heart into discipling someone else in the ways, the Lord, in the ways of the Lord instead of murmuring about that church, how the church isn't growing? We are either on God's mission or on our own, the devil's mission. We are either distracted and detached from the gospel, even by good things, or we are engaged and engulfed in the gospel. What is Jesus calling you to do for him? Where is he calling you to serve? What is keeping you from stepping up? What is distracting you from living on mission for Christ? What is it that you are doing that is good, but in the end will be burned up? Futile in view of eternal matters. When each member of the church fully surrenders to the Lord, the church will not only be believable to a skeptical world, but also unstoppable in a fallen world desperate for relationship with the Savior. Next slide. Believers in Christ, people in your neighborhood, school, workplace, social circles, homes, networks, and even around the world are waiting on you and me to say and show and all in yes to really being on mission in this life for Jesus. Who's going to heaven because of you? Leading them to Jesus. Are you helping the church to be an unstoppable force or an unappealing farce? I'm tired of church as usual. I think one more slide. It's time we stop complaining about what the church isn't doing for us and start doing what Jesus has already told us to do in response to what he's already done for us. If our preferences and opinions about the church have become more important than his commands and commission, then we have lost sight of what it means to be the church, love God, and love people as we win souls with the gospel and make disciples of Jesus is what he's called us to do. All right, so in conclusion, is this our heart? Are we living for eternal things? Are we living in a way that is going to make a difference 
on eternity? Are we investing our lives in the gospel? Are we investing our lives in what God has called us to do? Because if we are, regardless of what people around you might think, when we get to heaven and we stand before the Father, he is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that is what we want to hear. If we are truly his, if we are truly following him, then when we get to that point when we're standing before him and we are completely in awe before him and we cannot help but to be on our faces in humility because we deserve hell and he has given us Jesus, when we're standing before him, all that is necessary is for us to hear from our Lord, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all. But I believe it's going to go further than that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I believe that when we get to heaven, when we're given our crowns and we place them back at the feet of Jesus and we worship him and we glorify him and we honor him, I can't help but know that with God making such a big deal out of relationships and out of pouring into other people, that when we get to heaven, we will understand the impact that we have made. And I know that there are no tears in heaven, but... I can't help but think that we're also going to understand the impact. At some point, we're going to understand the impact that we didn't make. And I want to make sure that I've lived my life fully to the most. I have made every hour count. And sometimes taking a nap is the way you need to spend your hour. Because how are you going to spend the rest of your time if you don't get rest? Sometimes eating a healthy meal and taking time to take care of yourself is the way that you're going to best invest in eternal matters. Because if you don't do those things, which I'm guilty of not doing a lot, if you don't do those things, how are you going to be fit enough, healthy enough to take care of the, the people that God has put in your life? And so let's make sure that we are focusing on things that are eternal. Let's not waste our times with things that are temporal. And so my question to you this morning is, how have you been living your life? Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in the things of this world. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in the next vehicle or the next trip or the next this or the next that. We can get so wrapped up in what we don't have that we're not being good stewards of what we do have. And sometimes we can get so wrapped up with what we do have and want to hoard it and and take care of it and, and not use it for God's glory or for the good of other people that we've wasted it. And so where are we? Where are you? I'm not asking you, Shirley, I'm not asking you to look at Jimmy and tell him what he needs to change. I'm asking Shirley, where are you? Where's your heart? Right, Kenny? I'm not asking you to think about Miss Dixie and how she needs to live her life. I'm thinking about you, you. I, Philip, I can't think about the way that Rick, you know, what he's doing at work next week. Okay? I'm not asking myself right now in this moment to think about that. I'm asking myself in this moment, for all of us, where are our hearts? Are we following Jesus? Are we giving all that we have? Are we laying it all on the table? And I can guarantee you this, that if we do, let's say that I choose to do this. I choose to live for Jesus in this way that is completely sold out and wholehearted. And I do it to the best of my ability, through the power of God. I can guarantee you that there will still be hurting people around me when I die. Because we live in a fallen, sinful world. We live in a world that is full of hurt. Hurt should be a great motivation for us to try to help people and meet needs. But ultimately, it should be to glorify God and to honor Him. Because He is able to take care of everyone. We are not. So we give everything that we have... And if that's not enough, that's not enough. But we give it anyway. 
So where are you this morning? Where are you? Not the people around you. Not your friends that frustrate you. Where are you? Is your heart right with God? So we're going to have a time of invitation. And during this invitation, this is an opportunity to you to respond to what God has said this morning through his word. Whether you were convicted by Peter rebuking Jesus or Jesus correcting Peter by using some harsh words, get behind me, Satan. Whether you were convicted by uh, Jesus saying, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Whether you were challenged by my words or Pastor Stephen's words or whatever the case might be, how has God spoken to your heart and challenged your heart this morning? And if you said, good message, man, that, that encouraged me or that challenged me or maybe you didn't like the message at all, that, that means nothing. What means something is if we obey the word of God and are we doing that? So during this time of invitation, you respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. If you need to come to the altar just to get down here, have some space to get on your knees before God and tell him, I'm sorry, Lord. I want to live for you wholeheartedly. I've been living for myself, but I want to live for you. If, if you've been going through things in your life where you've been suffering and you can't even focus on other people because of all the pain and the suffering that you've been experiencing and you need God's help for his yoke to come up alongside of you and to carry the burden, if you need his help in order to be healthy enough to help other people, then, then you go to God for whatever you are going through right now. This isn't about the other people. This is about you. And so you respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. And the most important thing, if you have never become a follower of Jesus, maybe you've always believed that he is God, but you've never given him your life. He has never saved you. He is, you've never been transformed or born again. And, and this stuff that we've been reading, this scripture about giving your whole life to him, if that's never happened, that can change this morning. So whatever you are, whatever God is doing in your heart, you respond. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that during this time of invitation that you would challenge us and that we would open our hearts to turn to you and to see what you have to say honestly. And not, help us to not just hear you, but help us to obey you. And Lord, I pray that you would radically transform our hearts individually. And that as individual hearts turn to you, that we would be a church who is on fire for you, who is doing incredible things for you and for your glory, and that the people around us are experiencing the love of you through us. And God, I pray, Lord, and thank you, for the, those that are in this room, that are in our church, who are faithful, who are living for you, who are laying it all on the line, who are giving everything they have. Lord, I pray that you would help them to persevere and to keep on keeping on. I pray that you would give them the ability, supernaturally, to continue pouring out themselves and serving others, even when they're not getting in return. It's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Help us to respond in whatever way you're leading. Amen.